0: Once again, please open your Bible with me to the book of the Psalms. We'll be looking at Psalm 33. Psalm 33. Look there, beginning in verse 9. For God spake. And it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Beloved, when God speaks, he speaks with absolute authority. And my friend, when he speaks, it's his command. And most certainly, most assuredly, what he speaks will be done. He said, I purposed it, I bring it to pass, I will do it, I will accomplish my purpose. What great comfort it is to know what God has purposed in eternity He will bring to pass. Beloved, He shall save His people from their sins. What comfort that gospel is to guilty sinners in need of salvation, in need of mercy. This gospel brings us great comfort, does it not? How the true and living God has purposed salvation for All of his beloved people. And my friend, his purpose salvation cannot fail. For the promises of his word shall prosper. Beloved, our Lord and God shall not fail. In Isaiah chapter 42, God sets forth, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. He shall not fail to save his people. Our Lord declares, This is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all that he has given me, I shall lose nothing, but should raise it again at the last day. Beloved, our sovereign king goes forth conquering and to conquer, and he has given us the victory. You see, the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ, this victory of salvation, cannot fail, because God cannot fail. And because the Father is one with the Son, neither can His Son fail. Our Savior is not this frustrated failure portrayed in false religion. Rather, He's the absolute Almighty God who saves whom He will. Just before He gave His life as a ransom for many, He prayed for them in John chapter 17. Father, You've given me power over all flesh that I should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given me to save, to the uttermost. What great comfort do the promises of his word afford when the comforter blesses our Lord's promises to the heart he opens. Oh, what a word of comfort it is to a weary sinner in need of mercy. You see, the promises of his word cannot, shall not fail. For all the precious promises of God, and Peter calls them exceeding great and precious promises, they're not offered, but rather ever so blessedly given to us. You see, these precious promises of the gospel, these precious promises of the Lord, cannot fail. Peter writes Beloved, given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers. Of the divine nature. My friend, that's regeneration according to the power of God, according to the wisdom of God. You see, salvation is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but rather it's of God that showeth mercy. The Apostle Paul writes Indeed, God's word sets forth how that all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by Christ Jesus the Lord. Beloved, has anybody ever asked you, what persuasion are you? Now, they probably mean by that question, well, do you belong to the Roman Catholic persuasion? Or are you of the Methodist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, or Baptist Baptist persuasion? What kind of persuasion are you? How would you answer that question? Well, beloved, be sure you always answer someone that asks you that question with the word of God, with the word of God. Any other way is to answer without authority and without any saving power. So what persuasion are you? Well, as Abraham said, I'm persuaded that what God has promised, he is able to perform. That's my persuasion. What God has promised, he is able to perform. Indeed, he is able to save to the uttermost all that come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. God is able to do all that he hath promised. God is able to keep us from falling. God is able to make us new creatures in Christ Jesus. I love what the Holy Spirit records as the believer's hope, as set forth by the Apostle Paul. He writes to young Timothy, I know whom I have believed And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Remember David's last words, recorded for us in 2 Samuel chapter 23? David uttered these last words just before he departed. Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things, and Sure, For this is all my salvation and all my desire, knowing that my God is able to such, save such a mess like me to the uttermost. Have you ever read the last words of Joshua in Joshua chapter 23? Joshua said, Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. Behold, I'm a dying man. And ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you and not one thing hath failed. Beloved, that's true. And that's what we read in Psalm 33, verse 9. For the Lord spake, And it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast forever. Now beginning in Psalm 33, verse 1, God's word declares, indeed the psalmist writes, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is calmly for the upright. That is, praise is proper, or becoming, for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. Here we see three words. Rejoice, praise, and sing. And this worship unto the Lord is calmly or proper for the upright. Beloved, this rejoicing, praising, and singing becomes us who are upright in heart, made so by his grace, being made new creatures in Christ, and so it becomes us as believers to worship, praise, and rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord told the woman of Samaria in John chapter 4 that the Father seeketh such to worship him in spirit and in truth. And my friend, there's no spiritual worship apart from the truth. Now you can go through all the motions in the flesh, but if the truth of God, the truth of the gospel, the truth of who he is, the truth of who we are, the truth of who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what he has accomplished, if the truth is not proclaimed, there is no worship going on. And the Father seeketh such to worship him in spirit and in truth. Now notice, rejoicing, praising, and singing under the Lord is proper for every believer, those who are upright in heart. Worship the Lord, O ye righteous, ye upright. So how is it that a believer is made righteous and upright? Well, certainly not in of ourselves. Rather, it is only by the eternal decree of God, justifying us in Christ Jesus, that a sinner like me, And a sinner like you in the pew is made righteous by his grace. And we've been looking at this in our Wednesday night Bible study in Romans. For as by one man's disobedience, the disobedience of Adam, many were made sinners, so that by the obedience of one, the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ, shall many be made righteous. Beloved, our Heavenly Father made his darling, well-pleasing, sinless Son, To be made sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now, my friend, this righteousness of God is the righteousness of Christ. In Romans chapter 10, and all throughout the book of Romans, it speaks about this righteousness that is of God. And it's the perfect righteousness provided in the gospel of Christ. You see, my friend, this righteousness is not found in a theological position, but rather ever so blessedly in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, he is the Lord, our righteousness. So how are we made righteous? In Christ Jesus the Lord, who we worship and sing unto. How can you not sing unto him? For he has made us holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. So, believing sinner, how can you not sing? How can you not rejoice? How can you not fall down and thank him in awe and adoration and worship him who is holy? Verse 3. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully. Play well with a loud noise. Beloved, sing unto the Lord and worship him. Turn with me to Psalm 40. Psalm 40, beginning in verse 1. God's Word declares in Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God, many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Beloved, he's given us a new heart and he's put a new song in our mouth. Indeed, the words of this song are found throughout the scriptures. Turn to Psalm 98. Psalm 98, verse 1. O oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. And the redeemed in glory sing that song. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive all power and riches and wisdom and strength and all honor and glory and blessing, both now and evermore. To him who loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood. Beloved, he is worthy, for he was slain and has redeemed us to God by his blood out of every family, tongue, people, and nation. Now look at Psalm 33, verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right. The word of the Lord is right. And all his works, all the works of the Lord are done in truth. Worship, praise, rejoice, and sing unto him because his word, his decree, his counsel, his purpose are right in his eyes. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Absolutely. He shall, beloved. You see, whatever God does is right, for he works all things after the counsel of his own will. And whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in the earth and the seas and in all deep places. Whatever the Lord does is right. Let him do what he will. It's the Lord. Isn't that what Eli said to to Samuel when Samuel came to him saying, your two boys are rebels and God's going to kill both of them? And he did. Samuel came to Eli saying, your two boys are rebels and God's going to kill both of them. And he did. Now, did Eli say, Well, that's not fair. That's not right. Is that what Eli said? Not at all. Rather, Eli said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth good unto him. Let him do what is right in his sight. My friend, whatever God does is right. All his works are done in truth, all of his actions are holy. For his works are of the result of his decree, and there's no lie in God's word. There's no sham, no farce, no shame in the works of his creation, the works of his providence, nor the work of his salvation. For it's his doing, it's his accomplishment. Whatsoever the Lord doeth, it shall prosper. And all these things abound in truth. All his works are done in truth. Whatsoever God does is right, holy, good, and true. Look at Psalm 33, verse 5. The Lord loveth righteousness, and he hates iniquity. Scripture says that God hates iniquity. Indeed, he hates all the workers of iniquity. He loveth righteousness and judgment. That is, he loves justice and and the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. My friend, the only gospel, the only gospel is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, only in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ can God love righteousness and judgment. Only in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ can love can God love righteousness and And judgment, and be in complete harmony with his holy character, and save his people from their sins, and not compromise in any way his holy law. Beloved, that's the miracle, beauty, and power of the gospel. How that God can be just and the justifier. How God can be a just God and Savior. And so, how can that be? Only in Christ, my friend. Only in the blessed Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. For, beloved, he redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. He redeemed us by taking our sin unto himself to enable God in his great wisdom to devise a way whereby he can remain holy and just and right, and yet extend mercy to miserable, guilty sinners and not violate his holy character. And that can only be done in Christ. You ask, sadly, the average churchgoer, how God can be just and justify the ungodly. And being untaught of God, they don't have any sense of what you're on about or the vital importance of this gospel truth. How that it's only in Christ that the justice of God is satisfied for us. For in every precept of God's law, He both honored and magnified on behalf of his people and our Heavenly Father to reconcile us unto God. Beloved, in every precept of God's holy law, he had no sin, knew no sin, and did no sin. So you see, he was tempted and tested in all points, like as we are, and yet the Word of God says he was without sin, and in him is no sin. Every precept of God's holy and immutable law he perfectly kept, for he's the Holy One of Israel. Satan came and tempted and tried him and found nothing in him, for he's the Holy One of God. Every precept of God's law he perfectly honored as the God-man mediator. And not only did he perfectly keep the precept of the law, but further he paid in full the penalty of that law. The penalty of the law of God says the guilty must die. And the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's tree was made guilty for us, for his covenant people. As he hangs there with our sin charged to him, reckoned to him, imputed to him, he bare our sins in his own body on the tree. And in doing so, put them away, enabling our heavenly father to be just, holy, and righteous, and save and justify the ungodly in Christ Jesus. That's why it says here in Psalm 33, verse 5, The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. That word goodness means kindness and mercy. And beloved, the earth is full of his mercy. For you see, our salvation is not by works of righteousness, which we have done, But according to his mercy, he saved us. Verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. We read in the Gospel of John concerning the Son of God how that all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The whole host of them by the breath of his mouth. Verse 7. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as an heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Remember what the disciples said when he calmed the storm? They said, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, who said, Let there be light, and there was light. You see, our Heavenly Father created all things by Jesus Christ. God's Word says, indeed, God's God's Word declares, For by Christ Jesus the Lord were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And it says that in Colossians chapter one. In Hebrews chapter one, it says, The Lord Jesus Christ made the worlds. Indeed, he upholds all things by the word of his power. And so, by his command, even in the new creation and the new birth in regeneration, all things are made and created by the word of his power. He speaks and it's done. He commands the light to shine in our hearts and it shines. So much so that we see the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ, revealed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and many of you know that verse, we read how that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, it speaks about putting on the new man, which after God has been created in righteousness and true holiness. My friend, the new birth is not a reformation. The new birth is not a reformation of the old nature. Rather, ever so blessedly, it's the creation of a new nature, a divine nature that was not there before. You see, we were dead in sin, and beloved God hath given us life in Christ Jesus In Psalm 33, verse 8, the latter part thereof declares, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. That is, let the inhabitants of the earth fear and reverence his holy name. You know, in Psalm 111, it declares, holy and reverend is the Lord's name. So we ought never address anyone save the Lord Jesus Christ with such an honorific as reverend. Do you know what reverend means? It means to fearfully respect him who is God. God's word declares that the fear of a man is a snare, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you be sure to let everyone you know that the man behind this pulpit is not to be called Reverend Joseph. Rather, you just call me Joseph. For the only one who is reverend is the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Almighty God. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Because, verse 9, he spake and it was done, he commanded and it stood fast. Beloved, our salvation in Christ Jesus stands fast. You see, when God saves his people, it's not with a temporary pardon. Rather, when God saves his people, as it says in Isaiah chapter 45, he saves them with an everlasting salvation, an everlasting pardon of all our sins. Indeed, he has obtained for us eternal redemption with his own precious blood. I trust you see that, how that God does not save us temporarily. Rather, beloved, he saves us with an everlasting salvation. And the salvation of the Lord standeth fast and sure. You see, it's by his command that we have life. When he speaks to the sinner, they live. Salvation in Christ stands fast and it's certain, secure, and everlasting. Now, the argument that some religious people want to banter about is this. Is a sinner saved eternally? Well, if God saved him, he is. Because the scripture says, Whatsoever the Lord doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. Our Lord said to those Pharisees in John chapter 10, He said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. My Father which gave them me is greater than than all. And no man, no man, nothing, can come and pluck them out of my Father's hand. My Father and I, we're one. Turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 10. is just saying to the men in the prayer room how I never want to leave quoting God's Word to dis my memory and my recall. I'd rather read His Word, His blessed Word. This is where all the authority is. This is where all the power is. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. Jesus answered them, these pretenders, these... Hypocrites! these so-called experts of the law. And remember, this is God manifest in the flesh. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the one whose eyes are aflame with fire. He sees the beginning from the end. And when he looks at these these men, he looks upon them like no other man can, knowing the beginning from the end. And he says to them, I told you, and ye believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not... And listen to the reason he gives, because you're not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. You figure that his sheep, those for whom the Lord Jesus Christ died, do you figure they could perish? You who have ears to hear him, you know they will absolutely not perish. You have his word on it. So therefore, there are none in hell right now for whom the Lord Jesus Christ died. There's none in hell right now for whom the Lord Jesus Christ shed his precious blood. He shall save all his people, beloved. We read there the record in John chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 37 and onward. I'll just read to you beginning in verse 38. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. You see, the salvation of the Lord stands fast. Why is that? Because, my friend, it's by his command. It's not by some profession we've made. It's not by walking down an aisle and making a decision. That's not salvation. Rather, salvation is of the Lord. You see, beloved, this salvation is God-given salvation, and that makes us stand in awe and reverence God Almighty, and we stand fast by his command. Now, in verses 10 and 11, two extreme opposites are set forth. The Lord bringeth the counsel the wisdom of the heathen and the ungodly to nothing. He makes all their devices, the devices of the people of none effect. They don't affect God. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh at them. In Psalm, in the second Psalm, Psalm 2, verse 1, we read, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder, and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to nothing. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. Now, here's the extreme opposite. The counsel of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the will of the Lord, whose will is going to be done? His will is going to be done. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand. None can say unto him, Lord God Almighty, what doest thou? He taught that pagan king that lesson, did he not? And beloved, he's taught each of us that lesson. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart, the purposes, counsel, and decrees of his heart to all generations. Verse 12, Psalm 33, verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. You see, my friend, the cause and purpose of God is never in danger. Indeed, all evil is outwitted by his infinite wisdom. You see, satanic malice, even satanic malice, is held in check by God's boundless power. So much so that even the wrath of men will praise the Lord, and the remainder of wrath he shall restrain. Man is so frail, impotent, and wicked that all our devices, plans, and thoughts, and purposes shall fail. But God's purpose shall always be accomplished, for his counsel, his thoughts, are eternal and forever, because the counsel, wisdom, and devices of men will surely perish. Turn with me to Psalm 146. Verse 3 declares, Psalm 146, verse 3. Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. There is no help, no salvation in any son of Adam. Verse 4. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth, in that very day, his thoughts perish. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Beloved, he's our hope. Again, verse 12, Psalm 33, verse 12. Blessed is the nation, the people of God, Jew or Gentile, whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his inheritance. The people whom he hath chosen. For his inheritance. Election is at the root of it all. It's by his divine choice, for none taketh Jehovah to be their God till he takes them to be his people. Our Lord said, No man can come to me except the Father which sent me draw him. My friend, that's not just New Testament theology, rather, that's all throughout the scriptures. Turn with me to Psalm 65. Many of you will be familiar with this portion, and it's such a blessing to not only read this portion, and there in verse 4, but to know it by experience. You see, God does not change. What we read about Him in the New Testament is the same of what we read about Him in the Old Testament. What's true of God's character in what we call the Old Testament, well, it's true of God in the New. He said, I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord. I change not, I am the same yesterday, today and forever. And we read in Psalm sixty five verse four. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. Blessed is that nation, blessed is that people whom God hath chosen. Psalm thirty three verse 13 The Lord looketh from heaven and he beholdeth all the sons of men from the place of his habitation he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth Almighty God sees the hearts of all men he's not only all powerful he's also all knowing for he for the Lord looks on the heart what does he see in all men by nature what does he see in you what does he see in me by nature while well, the Lord sees us as we are in ourselves. Nothing, nothing but sin. But he sees his elect, his sheep, as we are in Christ Jesus. For as he is, so are we in this world, in God's beloved son. Remember Hagar, as she fled from Sarah and she confessed, Thou, God, seest me. Beloved, he sees us. He knows all about us. He knows our heart. He knows our thoughts afar off. How very different Adam was in his fallen nature. What did he do? Well, he tried to hide himself, did he not? What a contrast with our new nature. How comforting it is, beloved. Indeed, how comforting it is to know that our Lord ever beholds us in Christ. That's a real comfort to me, to know that God knows my motive My desire is to honor Him, to believe Him, to worship Him, to rejoice in Him. Though others lie about Him and slander Him, by God's grace I tell the truth about my God and about myself. Beloved, He's made us to differ by His grace given to us in Christ. We didn't make ourselves to differ. He made us to differ. Verse 15 He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. So what does God see in all the deeds of men and all their so-called righteousness? Filthy, ruined rags. All our righteousnesses, just filthy, ruined rags in God's sight. Verse 16. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. An army is a vain thing for salvation. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength, and horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. Salvation, as it's known and revealed in the word of God, is totally by the power of God. Not creature will, not deeds of the flesh, You see, mortal power is mere fiction, and those who trust in it are absolute fools. Paul, in writing to the Philippians, sets forth, We are the circumcision, that is, true Israel, which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, none. My friend, if you rejoice in something other than the Lord Jesus Christ, do you know what that's called? idolatry, just pure and simple idolatry. We rejoice, we're comforted in one thing, and that one thing is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, ever looking to him for all of our salvation. You see, my friend, it's a vain thing to trust in your own strength. It's a vain delusion to trust in any so-called righteousness of your own. How foolish to think that by some deed of your own, that which is filthy before God, you could be saved by your own hand. You see, the problem is, everything we do is sinful and of ourselves. And so this is the good news of the gospel. God does not require us to produce a righteousness of our own, but rather by his grace to receive one and rest in him who is the Lord, our righteousness. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. Beloved, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The Lord does know his sheep by name, he does lead them out, he delivers them by his power, he redeems them by his precious blood. Out of bondage, into liberty, out of death into life, out of sin into salvation, out of trusting self-righteousness into trusting Christ, our blessed righteousness, to deliver their soul, indeed, beloved, to deliver our soul from death, to keep us alive. Verse 20, our soul waiteth for the Lord, our soul waiteth for the Lord, and beloved, he's worth waiting on. Wait, I say, on the Lord. He shall encourage our heart, for he is our help and our shield. Verse 21 For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Beloved, we believe him. That's what he's saying here. Our heart shall rejoice because we believe him. We trust him. We rest in him who is holy. God is holy. We've trusted his holy reverend named, his holy character. Verse 22. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us, according as we hope in thee. You see, beloved, the hope we have is a good hope. It's not just a wish. It's not just some shot in the dark. Rather, beloved, the hope we have in Christ is a good hope. Indeed, Christ in you is the sure hope of glory. He's given us an everlasting consolation and a good hope. That's what our good hope is called in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16. A good hope through grace. That grace that was given to us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us, according as we look to the Lord Jesus Christ and all his fullness. Beloved of his fullness have we received grace for grace. That's why God's own word declares, beloved, ye are complete in him. Amen.